I don't know about y'all, but I love watching those kids run out. I also miss the days where I ran everywhere. Y'all remember that? You just get up and run somewhere for no reason, run to the kitchen. It's like, yeah, it's fun. You know, I, I tried it the other day. It wasn't fun. <laughs> like, like, I'm not doing this. Like I ran to the mailbox and ran back. I'm like, why did I do this? This was for no reason. Anyway, again, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we are going to dig into my favorite New Testament book today, which is the book of Jude. And we're going to focus in on one part of one verse. I don't like doing this because Jude is such a huge book. And I know you might be thinking, well, it's only one chapter. It's 25 verses. There is so much going on in the book of Jude. I, I just love this book so, so much. It's the only book that in its entirety deals with moral apostasy, dealing with those that came in the church to corrupt the church. And there's just a lot of reference here. We're not going to dig too deep into a lot of these things. I'm going to have to spread it through the chapter. Again, I don't like doing that. I like doing verse by verse. But before we start getting into it, I want to tell you why we're looking at this today. So last Sunday... I was, I was sitting here listening to Pastor Stewart, and of course, he had gone through the families, went through the husbands and wives, and it kind of hit me, well, we need to go through the church family, and the book of Jude is to the church family, so that's how we landed there. Uh, it was not a book that I was intending on doing, uh, but I think we're going to have a good time going through it this morning. So before we go any further, let's stop, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together, and then we'll press forward. Father, we thank you yet again that we get to come together. Lord, may I never forget to thank you for that, as it's a blessing. As many places in the world, there is no such thing as a public congregation. It would be persecuted to the point of death, not politically, but physically to a point of death. And Lord, I pray that we keep that in the back of our minds, that we are always grateful for the time that we get to share together, the time that we get to wrestle through the words sometimes. Lord, may we truly be bound as family. May we truly be bound in your kingdom. And may we, above all things, be under the authority of your scriptures, God, as they are not suggestive, they are overall, they are demanding, and they are full of who you are. So, Lord, prepare our hearts as we move forward right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Those that are able, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 25 verses. If you're not able to stand up, don't feel like you have to. But I would like it if you could. So let's start in verse 1. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 1216 is where we're starting. Jude, a servant of, Christ, of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may peace, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who, know, who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness into the judgment of the great day. 
just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by ongoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But the people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they have walked the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the gain of Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion." They are hidden reefs on your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism. To gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, that the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they have said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up for the for you're the most holy faith and praying to the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them up out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of the glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, the glory, the majesty, dominion with authority before all time, now and forever. Amen can be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Uh, I know that, that was a long one. I'm getting that blood moving because we're, we're about to hit the ground running now. I want to give you the point. I, always let, I want you to know where I'm going before we start going. The point is to submit to the authority of the scriptures and to contend for the faith. I'd like to share with you a quote. The trustworthiness of the scriptures lies at the foundation of trust in the Christian doctrine, Christian system of doctrine and is therefore fundamental to the Christian hope and life. That was said by B.B. Warfield. If you've not read him, he is a wonderful, wonderful theologian, and I would recommend that. So to give you a little bit of backdrop on the book of Jude, Second Peter and Jude, if you read the two together, you'll realize there's a mirroring effect there. Like they read very, very similarly. And the reason is Second Peter was written first. It is likely that Jude may have been able to look on that scripture and reflect on it. But it's, I would really encourage you, please go home and read that. Because what you're going to find is Peter, his, his book is predating Jude. And he talks about those that will come to infect the church. And Jude writes on those that have come 
and are infecting the church. And they read as bookends. It's, it's necessary to understand the two and to understand what Jude was living through. I mean, Jude was living through a time of massive political upheaval. You know, religion, Gnosticism, spirituality, and politics had all run amok together. And Jude is seeking to dissect out of the church those that were, according to him, condemned long ago for being faithless. Jude does something really unique that I, I really, really love. He references a total of nine events that are Old Testament events. Those nine are the Exodus, Satan's rebellion, Sodom and Gomorrah, Moses' death, Cain, Balaam, Korah, Enoch, and Adam. And there's two that stand out as very unique among those nine listed. We all agree it's not normal to see anyone list that many Old Testament events in one sentence, right? Y'all got to shake up. Yeah, we stood up. We did the wave. We did it all. So y'all got to like respond back. Yes, we agree. That's not normal, right? That's a little supernatural. We don't see that very often. So Jude's doing something. But twice in that list of nine, Jude mentions two things that should have stuck out to you. You're a sharp congregation. I believe it did stick out to you. The death of Moses and Enoch. Those are unique because those are not, the death of Moses is actually a book. We're not talking about the physical act that we see all the way back in the beginnings of the Old Testament. We're talking about the book of the death of Moses, and we're talking about the book of Enoch. These are pseudopigraphal books, and that means basically extra. They're not in our Bibles, right? You flip through here, you're not going to find Enoch, you're not going to find the death of Moses, and so these writings are extra. Pseudo, meaning false, and then epigraphon, meaning to write falsely. And it's not that these books are false books. They're books that we don't incorporate in the canon of our scripture, okay? If you were to go visit a Catholic friend and open up their books, they're going to have a few in their Bible that we don't have. These are some pseudepigraphal books. And so... The uniqueness here is Jude references these two books. That's odd, right? I'm just going to guess that most of y'all haven't read the book of Enoch, right? Anybody read the book of Enoch? Just throw a hand up. That's, man, that's enough. Right on, man. We're going to hang out. Like, that's, it's an interesting book, right? You read it and you go, huh, well, that's creepy. And, uh, it, but, right, those that have read it, like, it checks out. It's creepy. But it's fun to read because you can just read to go, you know what, that might not be the scripture as we adore it here, but there is some historical elements there, and it's important enough, it was well known enough that Jude is referencing it. And by the way, I, just to mention this, Jude's name is most likely Judas. You want to guess why he doesn't go by Judas? <laughs> right? You know, like, yeah, he's like, he's, I'm going to shorten that. I'm just going to go by Jude. You know, we don't want any confusion there. And Judas was a very common name in Old Testament times. If you go through extra Jewish literature written in first and second century, you realize that's like being named, I don't know, Bob. You know, it's just very, very, very uh, popular. So let's hop in. We're going to do a couple verses. Then we're going to hit our focal verse in, uh, in verse 8. So the uniqueness starts of this book right there in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother to James. Anybody know why that's so beautiful and unique? 
It's two big things happening right out of the gate. Two massive things are happening. Do y'all remember when Jude was mentioned once before? In the book of John, verses 1 through 9. Do you remember what he was doing? Somebody remembers what he was doing. What was he doing? He was rejecting Christ. Him, his mother, and his brothers were standing there rejecting the deity of Christ. Y'all remember that? Go home and read it. It's a good one. You need to understand that. Jude, all, not that many years ago from when he wrote this book, openly rejected Christ. Another interesting thing is, who is Jude? He's the half-brother of Jesus. Does he call himself the half-brother of Jesus right here? He calls himself a servant of Christ and a brother to James. We could preach there for the whole rest of the day. I want, I want to, but I can't because we've got other things we've got to move on to. But isn't that so beautiful that we, we should be looking in our own lives? We could boast about who we are in Christ, but rather should we not boast that we are enslaved to Christ? Oh, man, I get, I get chill bumps. Thank you. Y'all call them chill bumps or goosebumps? Anybody? Goosebumps? Okay, I was just wondering. My mind spun off. There it is. So that's just, that's a beautiful picture of what Jude is starting with. That if anyone can claim a unique relationship with Christ, it is Jude. But instead of making that claim, he refers to himself as a servant while being a half-brother, knowing full good and well that he had rejected Jesus some time ago. And in verse 3, we see Jude telling us what he really desired to write to us, which is about our common salvation. Do you ever meet with friends or have family over and just talk about the love of common salvation? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I know some of y'all have done it because some of you have talked with me about it. And we've, had, we've even had council meetings where we talked about the love of common salvation. And what a beautiful... Guys, we're so knit together through common salvation. You're all going to get in cars and go home and probably eat a good lunch. And I don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your day. But you're knit together in a common salvation that cannot be ripped apart. Unless you've rejected the scriptures. And we're going to start to move into that. So moving into verse 4, let's read it. And I know I'm moving through these fast. I'm trying to get to verse 8. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for a condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord. That should scare you. Does that scare you? I don't know about you. Nearly every day of my life I pray, God, may I never be the problem. Lord, if I am, Spank me before I get out of this bed. Prevent me from getting out of this bed. Do anything in your power to stop me. Because let's be honest, we're humans, right? Where there are people, there are problems. Where there are problems, there are people. (laughs) If we're being real. And Jude isn't telling us, hey, just a heads up, they might come to your church. That is not what Jude is saying. Do not misunderstand. Jude is saying they're here in our church. And he's not talking about just his church. This is for all of churches through the rest of time. This is right here at Calvary in Stanton. We pray not. At least I hope we pray not. Do you ever pray, Lord, may the people here be so bent on righteousness that they may not put a foot in front of the other without your permission. May they be so bound to the scriptures 
that they dare not take a breath without being in thanksgiving to a holy God that allowed them. But I'm afraid we don't think in a lot of those terms sometimes. I know I don't sometimes. But we must be careful. And in verse 8, we're going to skip down because there are moments where Jude is just expanding on his thought. And this is going to be a verse we focus in. Yet in like manner, these people who also rely on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. These people, according to verse 4, are designated for condemnation. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sit well with me. When I think about loved ones being set aside for condemnation, that bothers my soul. Does that bother your soul? If it didn't, you likely wouldn't be in here, right? Is that not what makes us missional, is being broken for those that are far from Christ? But this is going to go further, not just being far from Christ, but actually in open rebellion. And it says, relying on dreams. So I don't know about you, when I first think of that, my, book goes to, my mind goes to the book of Daniel, right? And I start thinking about like prophetic dreams, like crazy stuff with horns, antlers, wings, just crazy stuff, right? That's really not what's being said here. When it says relying on dreams, it's the dream of disrupting the fellowship. That's a gut punch. Isn't it heartbreaking that people dream of disrupting fellowship? it, It breaks me. They defile the flesh. That one's a pretty simple one. We know where we're going with that. They pollute themselves with food, with drink, with sexual desires. It's a pollution of self. But the one I want to camp out on, because this is the most important sticking point that we see carry from beginning to end of the scriptures, rejecting authority. Now, I want to clarify something. I want to tell you what authority I'm talking about. I'm not talking about pastoral authority. I'm not talking about deacon authority. We're talking about the authority of the scriptures, right? Right here is what we're talking about. That other stuff, that's a different conversation for a different day in a different environment with a different cup of coffee that I'll buy for you. But today we are talking about the authority of what is bound in this book that we call holy. Isn't it amazing how we can call something holy and reject pieces of it, right? Where else can that exist? We see Thomas Jefferson. Y'all know about the Jeffersonian Bible? My man just said, I don't like that. And just scribbled that out. Do we not see this widespread through our culture? You don't have to look far to find absolute apostate, meaning people that have rejected the faith, that are pastors. Y'all want to hear the craziest sentence in the English language? I was once... A, a clergyman in a hospital, and one of my fellow clergymen was an atheist. What's he doing here? You know what he can do when you're getting ready to die? He can walk up and go, high five. That's all he's got. He's got no word of encouragement. You, how can this exist? It exists because of Jude has warned us that people have crept in unnoticed, that they've taken this and deleted parts. They've scratched out parts. They've said, you know what? I don't want to turn my cheek. I don't want to do that. I want to slap back. 
It's not what Jesus said. Now, I'm not saying if someone slaps you and you turn around and slap them back, then you're an apostate. Okay, I'm not saying that. Because if we're being honest, at least three of us in here have done that. Right? I'm wondering if the three want to raise their hands. I don't know. It's just an educated guess. But I can honestly tell you, when I first stepped foot into Israel, I was there 12 hours. And one of the guys I worked with said, hey, man, you need to know that we have a baptism here. And that baptism is when you get beat up, you're one of us. I'm like, well, you ain't got to worry about that. Because there ain't going to be no beat up. There might be attempted to, but there's not going to be any beat up. Because I don't know that I possess the ability to get slapped and not turn around and slap you back. Until it happened. Until a man come up to me and started screaming at me. Gave me the best cussing in his third language that I've ever received. Tore up my Bibles, punched me in the mouth, threatened to kill me, tried to start a riot. And the impulse to fight back never existed. And for those of you that know me, to quote Andy, that ain't right. Because that's not my personality. But there are things that we struggle with in the scriptures. Things that we, if, can we be honest and say, there is something in the Bible you don't like. Are you able to be honest enough to say that? Yes, no, maybe. Yeah, we can be honest and say, do we have to like it? What do you have to do? Submit to it. Obey it. That's what we're called to do. And you know what I've found? If you take the time to pray through those things you struggle with, you'll be surprised how the Lord speaks. I saw a video just this past week of an Episcopal priestess. And then the gentleman came up to her and said, I'd like to ask you, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a priest. He said, but are you a Christian? He said, she said I'm a, a priestess in the Episcopal church. He said, are you a Christian? She said, well, what do you think? It was remarkable how long it took that woman to answer that question. She didn't answer the question. Because does not my earthly authority indicate that I'm a person of vast superiority in the spiritual world? Look at this black robe. Look at this fancy white collar. Of course I'm a Christian. Are you following the word? Is this the sole authority that you wake up every day shackled to willfully? Willfully shackled to. They blaspheme the, glor they blaspheme the glorious ones. I'm not going to go into that one. I'm going to give you scriptures. You can write it down. Go to Hebrews 13, 17 or 1 Thessalonians. Just read all of chapter 5. And then 3 John and... Um, and read, just read all of, just read verse 9 and 10, but just read the whole, it's a short one. Who are these people? It tells us in verse 16. They're grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. We don't want to believe this is in the church, guys. And I pray that it's not in our church. That's hard to reconcile in our heart that this has a foothold in the global church. But I'm willing to bet you've all seen a flavor of it. Am I right? Have you not seen pieces of this? Hopefully in previous churches, right? I mean, for some of you, I've met with you. We've shared our lives together, and I know that's what brought you to our church here because you saw that. You saw the infection. And I keep, I'm going to keep saying this because it keeps bothering me. How did it get that way? 
right? Have you ever been in a low place in your life and look back and go, how did it happen? How did I get here? I was fine like 24 hours ago. I was drinking Mountain Dew and eating Snickers bar and life was good. And now here I am and I don't know how I got here. And I look at the church. I look at the global church. This is not a Virginia problem. This is not a United States problem. I've seen it in every corner of the world. People that crept in unnoticed. People that openly rejected. And who are these people? It's right here. Jude gives us the identifying factors of who these people are. And so what are we supposed to do with that if Jude gives us that information? What do we do with it? I'll wait. It's so hard waiting for people to answer. What do we do with it? Y'all got an answer. Check yourself. I love that one. Look in the mirror. First thing you do in the morning, look in the mirror. First thing you do spiritually is look in the mirror. The second thing you do is you look. Why? Because Jude tells you what they look like. And I hope the third thing you're going to do is get on your knees and be broken for prayer. Because this is the body. This is the blessedness. This is the glory we get to share on this side of heaven. Heaven is all in this room. It's the bride of Christ. It's what, God, what Jesus calls his love is here. And people creep in. And I don't know how it happens, guys. I don't know how you wake up one day and go, you know what? Rip page right out. I don't know how you do that. I personally, this is a Stephenism, I won't even set anything on top of my Bible because I'm scared to. Because if that's the most holy thing, how dare I lay something on top of it, right? And I'll be honest, I got taught that in the Middle East. Because in the Middle East, they keep the holiest book on the highest shelf. You want to know the sad thing? It wasn't my religion that taught me that. That stung a little bit, right? But that's the truth. And so I don't know how this happens. But what I do know is it happens. Because Jude tells us that. And we are to be looking. We are to be in prayer. So we have to ask the question to look at ourselves first. Do you submit to the full authority of the text? I want you to really think on that for a moment. Do you fully submit to the authority of the text? Now I want to clarify that a little bit. I am not talking about the extra theological things meaning that when will the rapture happen? I'm not talking about that because the Bible doesn't tell us. I'm not talking about some of the silly little things where I'm an Arminianist, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a Neo-Calvinist, which those guys are they're bonkers. But I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the authority of the undivided Scripture. Whether you like it or not, are you under that authority? Or do you skip pages? Have you ever been in a church... And heard a pastor say, well, we've been going through the book of XYZ and this next chapter is hard, so we're going to skip it. Y'all ever heard that? That breaks my heart. It truly breaks my heart. Yeah, there's hard things in here. This is a hard sermon. I mean, I'm having fun, but I've been real worried about this. I didn't sleep a wink last night. I just laid there and prayed and stared at a ceiling in a camper all night last night, and I wasn't even camping. Y'all can ask me about that later, but it's, that's the truth. And sometimes the scripture's hard. Sometimes it requires our skin. 
it always commands our respect. I am asking you, you don't need to answer out loud, but I am asking you, are you under a total authority? Or are you under a partial authority? Because if it's a partial authority, meaning all but one sentence of this book, then we have a problem. Because that's called the flesh becoming the authority. How many churches today do you believe are led and attended in fleshly authority? I'd be terrified to know the number, wouldn't you? Because where there are people, there are that's going to catch on sooner or later. Problems. But they can be good problems because it gives us an opportunity to pray. I want us to understand as we start to wrap up. I want us to understand how much weight that this book holds. This is not an owner's manual. Y'all ever read an owner's manual? Out of curiosity, has anyone ever bought anything and read the full owner's manual? Of course, of course the Rothrocks did it couple of y'all have read it, right? I've never read an owner's manual. You ever bought anything from Ikea? I can barely get through the pictures. And it's all pictures. I'm not going to read that because it's not an authority in my life. It's a suggestion on how to be better. I don't want to be better. I want it done now, right? That isn't our, our approach towards setting up anything that requires an owner's manual. That can't be the scriptures. It can't be, guys. Even when they're hard, they can't be a suggestion for a better way of life. That's how liberal theology came and swallowed our country. As the scriptures became a way of negotiating what you call freedom. That is not freedom. You feeling comfortable because I took out pieces of this is not freedom. Freedom. That's damnation is what that is. If God didn't want something here, it wouldn't be here. And for those that say, you know what, the heck with it. I don't like that these rules exist. I'm going to take it out. May God have mercy on them because that is heaping coals of damnation on your head. Why? Why would people do this? Because we like fleshly authority. We like things that make us feel the way we desire to feel. Guys, walking the faith is hard. Why, does, why else does Jude tell us to contend for such a faith? Because evil has crept in unnoticed. I want to share, I want to share this is a little off, but not really. As, as we're wrapping up, there's a book called Silence. I don't know if any of you have read this book. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful movie. Uh, it'll break you. Just a heads up. I don't care how big a man you are, you will cry at this movie. It's just, it's going to happen. And one of the priests that has become an apostate, he's rejected Christ, is talking to another priest who's being tortured in Japan and says this quote, For love, Christ would have apostatized to help man, even if it meant giving up everything he ever had. I slammed the book shut when I read that. It made me so mad. Because Christ does not apostatize. Christ does not walk away from the scripture that he embodies. We are not to walk away. I eventually read the book and finished it. It's a really good book. But it made me mad because that writer understood what it was to be a broken, fallen human in a broken, fallen world. We don't get the authority to reject Christ 
in pieces. Either you are all in or all out. There are no toes in a cold pool here. You're in it or you're out of it. There's no negotiating the word of Christ. There's no, I don't like that scripture. Let's just cut it real quick because, well, we can do something different that'll be just as good. No, 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 no. I heard a baby say no. Thank you. It is a emphatic no. That is not how this works. And Jude is begging you, and I am begging you, contend for the faith. Because I look out, and I have a special memory with almost every one of you here. I am grieving what is happening next in my life as we prepare for an entire world change. And I look out, and I struggle to keep my tears in because I can start naming people. Sarah Davis was the first person I ever talked to on the phone and got to minister to. Emily, first time I met her was sitting right there. She said, hi, my name is Emily. That's my dad, not my my husband. I don't know why she said that, but she did. And I can go through the list. Lane and I like a lot of the same bands together. And we've got some that we just, man, we absolutely love it. And Mrs. Savage and I used to eat ice cream together. And I miss that woman. I was at her funeral yesterday, and it was a beautiful funeral. And guys, as we go through grief sometimes that human side starts to creep in of what does God really expect from me what's really important do not be tempted contend for the faith double down I do not care the cost double down on the faith because that faith is what roots us in who Christ is I beg you, never sow seeds of discord. Never let pain take over. Never let jealousy. Never be a loudmouth boaster showing favoritism. Never defile the flesh. Never reject authority. Seek after things of holiness. And if you don't know what it is, it's here. This is it. And I tell y'all about me preparing to wind up because if there's one thing that I would cry out to our congregation is put the pettiness aside. Contend for the faith. We've got enough problems outside the church that we can't fight each other in here. We have to contend, contend, contend because the holiness of God is written before us. And I beg you, From the bottom of my heart, do not let your flesh be deviled by earthly foolishness because it's a cancer and it will kill your spirit. Contend for the faith, brothers and sisters. I beg you, contend. Let's pray. Father God, open up our hearts that we can see who we are. Expose our weak spots to us. And God, may we make a cry for repentance. Lord, we know you love us. But we also know there are those that have crept in. Uprooted trees, waterless clouds. Lord, we pray for them. We ask that you bring correction to their heart. Love to their soul. Lord, may we contend with all the strength of the scriptures. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.